Okay. Well, glad you're with us this morning. And uh, often we like to kind of get things rolling with a, a question, kind of get our brains moving and kind of shake off the cobwebs, right? So my question for us this morning is, what is the quality of your friendships? What is the quality of your friendships? I say it like that because I think many of us have a, you know, if I said like, um, how are your friendships? You might be like, oh, we're good. You know, I got some pals. I got some buddies. What is the quality of your friendships is something different, right? Like how substantial are they? How do you feel about the nature of your friendships? Because this morning, we're going to be looking specifically at a very specific kind of friendship. So if you have your Bible, open to John chapter 15, John chapter 15, um, which last week we were in John 15 looking at this, you know, the kind of the most famous part of John 15, talking about the vine and the branches, right? That you, that you can do nothing apart from me, uh, the Father says, right? That Jesus is saying that we need to be connected to the vine in order to produce the kind of output, right? The kind of fruits that he is, he is wanting to produce, but it only comes in connectivity to the vine. And so we pick up right off of that theme and we dive into this section here, uh, starting in verse 12. So let me read verse 12 through verse 17 for us. And, uh, and again, he's, he's going to kind of reboot our understanding of what we're talking about when we talk about friendship. I've uh, been reading some books this week. I'm teaching a class tomorrow for our Bonhoeffer House uh, Richmond cohort on friendship in ministry. And, uh, and basically, the idea of friendship was very popular with Aristotle and Plato. There was entire volumes that were written about the nature and the quality and the beauty of friendship. And it's, it's actually striking how little we find today, especially in Christian literature, about friendship and how that actually plays out. And so this is an area that I think we really struggle with. We like friendships, we like relationships, but do we have the kind of friendships that God is actually trying to foster. So let me read for us. This is John 15, starting in verse 12, and we'll just do a few verses to start. So this is John 15, 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends." You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask in the, in the Father, in my, uh, ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So we'll pause right there. So we are clearly talking about this morning, basically friendship with God. This is a kind of a strange language. There's some goofy songs. I don't know if you guys have seen that like Christian meme song that's out there. I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. Right? Anyone, anyone out there? Anyone with me? No? No, Jesus is a friend of mine, right? There's all these different songs, right? So, so the, to be real honest with my 90s upbringing, this, this ha- I get like a little PTSD for some of the cheesy Christian cliche when we talk about friendship with God, right? What do we mean when we talk about friendship with God? And, and so we have it kind of laid out for us here. And so this morning, what we're looking at is what, four aspects of what it means to be a friend of God. 
And really the rest of this section is going to be all about how this friendship plays out, which is always very different than what we expect, right? So let's go look at verse 12. Let's kind of start working our way through the text here. This is, verse 12 is a, is a repeat of what we saw earlier, right, from John 13, where it talks about that you will, they will know you by how you love one another, right? This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. So he's starting to remind his disciples that he's not just telling them that they need to love one another. This is, this is old news, right? Old news being Deuteronomy, Leviticus says, love your neighbor as yourself. He's saying, no, no, I'm not just saying that. I'm saying you are to love your neighbor and your brother as I, Jesus, has loved you, is what he's saying. And then look at verse 13, and then he makes it explicit. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Right? We're starting the Lent season. We are getting each week closer to the crucifixion, each week closer to the resurrection. He is making a specific point, letting his friends know the nature of the relationship that he has with them and the nature of the love that he has for them and not only has for them, but is giving them to bear and live amongst all peoples, right? Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends, so he keeps, I, I think with each of these verses, he's ramping up. So verse 12, he says, this is the commandment I give to you, that you love as I have loved you. Verse 12 says, there isn't a greater love than the sacrificial love that Jesus is offering. There's no greater love for a friend than he who sacrifices himself for his friends, which Jesus is going to do. But then look at verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you. He keeps repeating this idea. And then look at 15. No longer do I call you servants. This is actually a very strange verse. I want to read it real slow, and I don't want to move past it because this is a strange way for him to say this, especially when you think about all the ways that Paul and Peter and the other apostles speak of themselves after uh, the, the Gospels. No longer do I call you servants. The word here is doulos, okay, which is exactly what Paul calls himself in most of his letters, right? right. You see who says, Paul, a servant of the church, right? And the word there is doulos. Numerous of the letters have this word, this exact word. But look at what Jesus says. No longer do I call you servants, or that can also be rendered as slaves, for, servants, uh, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. I want to be real slow here. This language, what you just heard, is unique in all of the Bible, right? We get some language about Abraham, right? There's some passages about Abraham being a friend of God, but the way that Jesus is saying this, we don't even find in any of the other Gospels. We only find right here, and I want to remind us right here of who is writing this. This is the Apostle John. Right? Who, who is known historically as the one whom Jesus loved. We see this later in the account, right? when, he's, when they're going to the tomb. It says the one whom Jesus loved was kind of racing to the tomb. And so you have John, who, who, who arguably kind of had the sweetest and closest relationship with Jesus, is writing these very kind of explicit, specific, and beautiful words about the nature of the relationship between Jesus and those that he loves. Because listen, there's a way we, we can do this, church. There's a way that we can talk about the gospel uh, as if all Jesus is looking for is, uh, is soldiers in his army. 
right? As all of he's looking for is factory workers, right? We have a job to do. He's coming to build God's army. He's going to enlist us in that army, and he's going to send us out as these kind of robots who can, you know, put, uh, you know, people in cans or something, right? Like there's some assembly line that he's going to send us out on. And yet John is making it really clear that that Jesus isn't coming for us, and, and I think even as we use words, which I think as we think about our friendships with other people, right, where I might look at my friend Scott, or I might look at my friend Keith and say, hey, I, I'm a servant of Keith, right? But Keith is, is like, hey, I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm comfortable with that language. Like, you're my servant? Like, I, I mean, can we just avoid that? It's kind of odd. And look what Jesus says. No longer do I call you servants. Not that we aren't to serve him. But he makes the point, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. So so when we think about our relationship with God, when you think about friendship, excuse me, what words come to mind? What define your friendships that you have? I spent a lot of time thinking on this. Uh, I mean, years thinking on, what is it that makes friendship different than, let's just say, brotherhood? We just use those two kind of portraits. Right? We even have the proverb where it says, a friend is closer than a brother. Why are they different? Right? The, the, the brother relationship is beautiful, and there's a binding there. There's a, there's a bond that you can't break even if you want to, because like, no, like we share DNA. Like, like as much as I might want to get away from you, you're my family, you're my blood, so that's, that's, we kind of have this, there's an involuntary nature, if you will, which has beauty in it with brothers or sisters, right? And actually, this is the point Paul makes in the epistles, the pastoral epistles and the, uh, the Corinthian, letters to the Corinthians in particular, where he says, look, you didn't get to have a say in who your brother is, you know? You know I know what you always see, we're like, mommy, I want a brother, mommy, I want a sister, it doesn't quite work that way, right? Like, like you don't get to decide who's in the family. They're, they're kind of, there's, this, there's this lack of will and lack of statement of who, we, who we're connected to, and that's a beautiful thing. But why is friendship different? He talks about being family, and we are that, but he uses a different word here. He used this beautiful picture here. It's this word phileo, right? There's, it's only used a couple of times. You go to James, in James 4, he uses a, the, a different form, but he uses the same root word. And he says, those who have friendship with the world have enmity with God. Saying, so it's kind of like this choosing of who are you going to be friends with? You're going to be friends with the world, you're going to be friends with God. And so my question again is, is, what is the difference between a friend and a brother? Huh. Because he's making the point to say friend here. And here's one of the things I want to propose to you is that there is a a willful delight, right? Our friends are those that we choose. C.S. Lewis talks about this in his book, The Four Loves. He has friendship as one of the four loves. He boils down all loves into four kinds, and one of the kinds, the whole category, is called friendship. And there's something uniquely wonderful about friendship because we pick our friends, We choose who it is that we're going to kind of give ourselves to. And here we have this language of Jesus with us. Here's another word I want to insert into this. Sometimes we, in the church, we get get real comfortable with the word, I love you, or the language of that, because we're commanded to that, right? You need to love others. And so we'll say, well, I love you. And it's kind of this like, well, I I kind of have to. I don't really get an option. Like, I'm going to kind of muscle my way through this. But here's, here's what I want to say. This is going to sound really weird. 
Um, my wife and I joke about this in our own relationship. I'll say, hey, I love you. And we get really, we get really comfortable with this. Sometimes I'll like, say that to other people on the phone because I'm so used to saying, all right, love you. You know, I'm like talking to my uh, credit card company. All right, love you. <laughs> yeah, anyone else done that? Come on, right? Yeah, you're talking to the person from Walmart. Okay, well, I love you. I, I mean, uh, yeah, uh, talk to you later. Right? So we get in this kind of way that that word kind of loses. So what we, my wife and I will do kind of playfully, which I think really it fits here, is I'll say to her, hey, I love you. And then sometimes I'll, I'll interrupt that and say, hey, not only do I love you, but I like you too. Like, I, I, I want to be close to you. I enjoy you. Like, you're a delight to me. I'm not just doing what I'm about to do because I have to do it. So hear me, there's a way, which is part of the beautiful truth of the scriptures, that Jesus nuances his affection for us in ways to help us understand he's not just tolerating us. Right? Jesus is saying, look, you're, you're not just my, my factory workers. You're not just those that I'm like, you know, the Father's kind of sent me, and I got to like rescue you knuckleheads, and so like you got to come with me, and I'd rather not have to do this. He's saying, no, no, I'm letting you in on all things. So one of the words I'd love to put into the, the discussion when we talk about what is a friend, how is a friend different than maybe another relationship, specifically a brother, is the word mutuality. Right? There's this willful giving of one another to each other, and we're going to get a, a whole expose on that whole idea next week in John 17 about giving ourselves, right, to Jesus, opening ourselves. But then go back to the first verse we read, verse 12. He says, love one another as I have loved you. You know, to steal a little bit of language from Paul, not under compulsion. Like, do you love those that you love because you have to? And I realize there's times where we have to, but are you able to say, as Jesus says, like, uh, I chose to love you, right? So, I want to get that on the table. This is unique, interesting language as we think about, do we think about friendship with God, not just as a kind of ambiguous thing, but as a specifically beautiful relationship that then becomes the metric, then becomes the way in which we relate, the way that we do with friends. He even says that about when Moses would go talk with God, do we remember this, where he says he would go talk to Moses as a man speaks to his friend? I don't know about you, but the way I speak to my friends is actually notably different than how I speak to most of the rest of the world. I will speak to them very bluntly, honestly. They can say things to me that other people can't say. I will say sweet things to them that I would not say to other people. I can use words and language that we were able to share in a way that, that goes beyond just normal relationship. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying he calls those that follow him. As I say these words, I just want to pause here. Just, does this land on us, or does it just like, okay, yeah, we're friends of God. Or do you go, huh, God wants to be near me. He not just loves me, but he wants closeness with me. And this is what he's offering. So what is this friendship with God characterized by? The rest of this section is really playing out what this looks like, right? So the first reality, so again, we're looking at four aspects, four realities of friendship with God. The first one that I want us to see is verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed that you should go and bear fruit 
and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask in my name, he may give it, or ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So the first thing that we are as friends of God is we are chosen. We are chosen. It's not like Jesus was kind of bumbling his way along and ran into us on the street and was like, oh, I guess you'll work. He, he set out, he made a plan, he intended, he chose, he was specifically coming to offer us friendship with himself. I want us to hear that, that, the, that there's a willful pursuit. He chose to do it, he intended it, he planned, right? This was intended for all time that we would have union with him. He chose us. I say it that way because we have to be real careful of not just being like, well, yeah, like, I follow God and I chose to follow. No, we responded to his choosing of us. We are chosen on purpose. God intended it. He saw us. He came for us. He chose us. He redeems us. He does the work of pursuit. So the first thing we are as his friends is we are chosen by God. We are chosen by him, by his design, by his initiative. We are responding to his pursuit of us, which again takes a little bit of the pressure off of like, yeah, he, he is saying, come, life is in me. So we're chosen by him. Now, there's some other things and some other... Now, this is, this is one of the beautiful things about Scripture is we're going to read this, and this is, this is a portrait. I want to remind us. This is a portrait of friendship with God. So we love that language that we get to be friends with God. Now, I don't know about what you think about your friends, but I have like sweet memories and sweet thoughts and like this is really great, fun stuff. A lot of it's really enjoyable, but I want us to note everything we're looking at this morning is, the, is aspects of friendship with God. Look at verse 18. We're just going to read verse 18 alone and let it stand by itself and talk about it. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Pause right there. So the first thing that characterizes our friendship with God is that he chooses us. We are chosen. The second thing that characterizes our friendship with God is hatred. We are hated. I love that the scriptures are clear about this. Right? This gets into the, the, the whole contrast of this section, which again, James 4 picks up this contrast. It's this contrast about the world and about God and about connection to the world and about connection to God. Basically, are you going to be friends with the world or are you going to be friends with God? Because if you're friends with Jesus, look at what it says. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. So one of the things you get, one of the wonderful gifts of friendship with God is you get hated. You get hatred. Huh. He doesn't stop there. Jump down to the beginning of, of chapter 16. I've said these ting, the, tings, nice. <laughs> okay. I've said these things to you to keep you from falling away. He's telling us we're going to be hated. Verse 2, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you, that's not metaphor, that's not hyperbole, whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. So this hatred is not like people are just going to dislike you 
This is literal. And I want to be, you know, remind us of what happened to most of the early disciples. Right? This is, this is 16, 1 and 2. What happens to most of the early disciples is they are killed. Right? They are killed for their faith. And not only are they killed, but look at what it says. There's coming a time where people are going to, not only are they going to kill you, but when they kill you, they're actually thinking they're helping God out by doing this. So hear me, I'll even just this little, this little side comment for free for us. Sometimes when we're persecuted and when we're hated and when we're imprisoned and when we're killed, the world is cheering in the background thinking, finally you've done away with those narrow-minded idiots who did the God stuff instead of doing the right things. And it's no different today, right? If we're not waving the right banner, we are evil. I'll say it that strongly, evil. I think about the discussion happening right now in Texas about some of the political things going on, about the transgender movements and those kinds of things. is really interesting discussion all happening around if we're going to listen to what God says about gender and sexuality or we're going to listen to what the world says about gender and sexuality, which, by the way, we'll probably have a series coming in the fall talking about gender and sexuality. We're going to be very clear. Right, we're in a time, I'm going to say it again, this is just kind of a little extra, extra information for you that's helpful for us to think through. We're in a time and a, and a generation where we say things like one man, one woman, if you're born a boy, it's hard to even say the right words, right? Then you're designed by God to be a boy. And if you're designed, you know, born as a girl, you're designed by God to be a girl. Like saying that, even I have to be like specific how I say that, that's controversial. And are we going to trust and do the things that God commands? You are my friends, verse 14 of chapter 15, you are my friends if you do what I command you. So it's not like we can kind of follow Jesus and then kind of make up our own narrative and our own rules. We have to follow Jesus and do what he teaches and abide by his word and walk in his ways. It gets really uncomfortable and there'll be people who will stand on the street corners. We've seen this on the news, right? Who will stand on the street corners and say, you horrible people, how dare you? And what we're trying to do is love our neighbors, You will be hated if you're friends with Jesus. Now, a little qualifier here. You can be hated for other reasons. Right? You, you can be hated for being an arrogant, actual bigot. Not because you're following God's ways, but just because you don't know how to be quiet when you need to be quiet. And you say mean and harsh and horrible things, and you're saying, I'm touting the Lord's truth. Well, you might just be being a jerk. We get that what you said was theologically accurate, but the way you did it was awful. So you can be hated for other reasons, but we will be hated if we do the things that Jesus wants us to do, if we are friends with Jesus. And hear me, we want to love our community, all of our community, trans community, bisexual, homosexual, polysexual, men, women, whatever, whatever category. We want to love our neighbors. I, we want them in our doors. We want to love them. We want to be near to them. We want to have relationship with them. But we also want to hold to God's truth. And it's going to be really hard in these days to do both. But it's supposed to be hard. We will have difficulty as we follow Jesus. So Friends of Jesus are chosen. Friends of Jesus are hated. They're killed. At the end of chapter 16, we're told that there will be tribulation. Are we understanding, church, it's going to be a hard road? Are we understanding that? To be friends with Jesus, this idea that it sounds so great, we're going to be pals with God. 
Yay, chosen, hated. Oh, great. Sign me up. But there's two other aspects. Look at, we see here, starting in verse, let's see here, verse 5. But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? Because I have said these things to you. Sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So what's he saying there? Again, this is, a, this is a wild section. What does friendship with God look like? We are chosen, we are hated. Thirdly, we are helped. We are send the helper. Jesus is, is saying, you're friends with me. I've offered you friendship. And then right within a few verses, he says, I have offered you friendship. No longer are you servants. Oh, and by the way, reminder, I'm going. They're like, come on, we just, we just became friends. We just established that. We just DTR. Like just a few verses before. We just defined the relationship right? And then he's saying, look, it's, it's actually better for you that I go away. So think about this. You have people like Abraham and Moses and all these faithful guys who all love Jesus or all love Yahweh and were looking forward to the coming Messiah. I have all these guys who are all about that and they didn't have what we have, which is the person of God living within us. It is to your advantage. Now, I don't know about you. I always wrestle with that. I'm like, I think I would like Jesus here, like physically here. It would be so great to have him. But Jesus is saying, no, I'm going to send you the Spirit. So we are chosen, we are hated, and we are helped. We have the helper that comes by God's design, God's intent. He sends the Holy Spirit, not just to be in the world, but to actually dwell in us. We become the dwelling place of the person of God. Again, the Holy Spirit is not a, a force or a power or an it. He's a he. He comes and he will do some things in us. Look at verse 8. He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, those fun topics that we love. Sin and righteousness and judgment. There's a lot that this means. I could preach multiple sermons just on that passage. But the distilled version, the short little nugget that you're going to get this morning, because we got other things to get into, is that when the Spirit is present, when sin is present, He calls it out. So if you're living in sin and you have the Spirit, one of the things he does, he goes, hey, Brett, that dumb thing you're doing, yeah, that's bad, right? So, so one of the things we look for, if there's no conviction of sin in your life, if you are blatantly going against the ways of God, I think about many conversations that have been done to me, praise God, and conversations I've had with others. Hey, I love you, brother. You are looking at things on the internet that you shouldn't look at. Man, we should talk. 
The man who loves Jesus says, man, help. You're right. It's sin. Help. Whether the sin is gossip, pornography, meanness, harshness, whatever the sin may be. Sin has all sorts of shapes and sizes, and we all have our own brand of it that we are proficient in. Right? And when, when the Spirit, whether it's through a brother or wherever, comes you know, and says, hey, this is bad. The heart that is walking with God, the heart that has the Spirit says, yes, this is sin. I need help. This is it's called conviction of sin. The man that you look in the face of or the woman you look in the face of and said, this is sin, and they go, uh, no, I'm good. I really like it. When I hear that in the mouth of someone confessing Christ, it worries me and grieves me. Just say, brother, if you really believe that what you are doing, which the Bible explicitly states as being contrary to the heart of God, that's a description of what sin is. It's not just a list of bad things to do. It's things that say, this, this violates the heart of God. If you're doing those things and you don't care, there's no, you don't feel anything, then we're concerned for your soul. Because the Spirit of God that is dwelling in you convicts the world of sin, awakens the world of this is not the right way. And he helps us in that way. So one of the things he does is he convicts. That's not all that he does. Look at verse 12. I love Jesus. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. I often feel that way. I'm like, yep. Yeah, he's telling me all the time. I'm having a hard time dealing, bearing with the stuff I got. Verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, this is the helper that he just made reference to, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So he is going to guide us into truth. He's going to help us learn and see the ways of God and see the heart of God and start to see. Because what will happen is when we're young believers, we'll see commands where it's like, don't have you know, sex outside of marriage or something. And you go, why? Why is he commanding that? Does he not want to enjoy myself? Everyone else is saying this is a good thing. Why? why? And then when we walk with God and have the Spirit of God in us, we understand, oh, he doesn't want that to be the case, not because he's trying to prevent me from having a good time, but because he's, he's preserving the beauty of what relationship and friendship and intimacy is supposed to be in Christ Jesus. And it's most good. It's most beautiful. It's most wonderful in the ways in which God is working, and the Spirit guides us to understand that. Even though when we're young in our faith and we're still learning, sometimes that's confusing, but he guides us into that if we have the Spirit living within us. So to be a friend of God, he chooses us. We have hatred. We are hated. We have help. And last, he gives this last description, which is kind of odd, actually. Look at starting in verse 20. Again, if, if I had just read the text and we talked about friendship with God, you'd be like, ah, ooh, there's a lot of hard stuff in here. My friendships aren't typically this discussion. Starting in verse 20 of chapter 16. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament. But the world, these people who are living in a different way, will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow. Because her hour has come. 
But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that the human being has been born into the world. So you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. So we are chosen, we are hated, we are helped, and we are happy. It might sound cheesy to you, and sometimes you want to make this strong, like, well, there's happiness and there's joy. Really, biblically, those concepts are all wrapped together. What kind of happy are we? We are the kind of happy that a woman in labor is. <laughs> that kind of happy. Which, you know, we were watching a movie with the kids the other day, we were watching Prince Caspian. And it, yeah, we were. It was true. You can check with my kids. Yeah, fact check. Um, check with my kids. We're watching Prince Caspian. The movie starts with this woman screaming in anguish. And you're like, what is happening? And they zoom into the castle and you're like, I know what's happening now, right? Yeah, that's right. Thank you, my kids. She's having a baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Funny, yeah. Okay, uh, thanks for the commentary, Eden, up there. Okay, so, right, so, so when we see a woman in labor, it's, this is the kind of happy, the kind of joy that we experience is this, this weird tension of you go in and, and there's this kind of terror of there's some stuff that's going to happen before this baby comes, Right? And we always get the, um, you know, the, the, the photographs of the baby all wrapped up. It's like everything's cute and nice and quiet. They're sleeping, right? You don't usually see the Instagram posts or the Facebook posts of like the, you know, the, the 30 minutes before that where stuff is like shooting out and it's, you know, ah, you know, right, yeah. I don't want to go, you know, not, I don't want to be too graphic, but this is, I mean, this is the picture here. I'm trying to be biblical, Right? Look at what it says, verse 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. Can, can we just acknowledge that the, we're trying to be prepared? Jesus is trying to prepare us for what's ahead. He's trying to prepare his disciples so that they will not fall away. He is saying, there is going to be some hardship. You're going to be hated. Some of you are going to be killed. Right? This is reality of the, of the time we find ourselves. And yet, in the midst of all this, your sorrow will be turned to joy. It's this like discussion of was it worth it? Right? You ask you ask a mom, was it worth it? Right? And they go, yes. It was the most awful experience of my life. Like literally, like statistically, I think they've done like pain studies. It's the worst thing I've ever felt ever, and I would do it again. Right? And this is the metaphor that he's using to say, there will be pain and there will be anguish. and There will be sorrow, but there will be joy that will be full. And can we as followers of Jesus cling to our friend 
knowing that there will be joy, but it's that kind of joy. It's a joy that is often mixed with sorrow because of the fallenness of the world that we live in. So I ask you the question again, what, what is the quality of your friendships? This word does not land on us when I say it because most of our friendships are of a weak sort where it's, there's, there's, some, there's some, some good there, but they're not super deep where we're, we're, where we're nourishing each other's souls in deep ways and challenging each other's souls in deep ways. And Jesus is saying that if we are going to be connected to him, there's going to be this deep and powerful difficulty and this deep and powerful joy that's even connected to when you've walked in those things together. When you walk in that sorrow together. I think about many friends whom I love, we've walked through some hard together, loss, conflict, there's sorrow. But as we walk together as friends, when we make it through the sorrow, we are there reminding each other of the joy that we are given in Christ Jesus, that Jesus, our King, has laid down his life for his friends. And so he's invited us into this heavenly joy that only he can give, that the, the one who is making enemies into friends, to friends. To, to, he wants to be near to us. He's pushing past our complaints and our arguing, and he is drawing us into friendship so that he can give us this joy that will be complete. Verse 33 of chapter 16, I have said these things, everything that we just read, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. And then I love, I love Jesus. He doesn't mince any words. The next phrase. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. So we are offered friendship with the conquering one. We're offered friendship with one who has been persecuted and hated and killed far more than we can ever dream Jesus has dealt with all of that ahead of us and he has taken on even our sin against him in order to secure us because he chose us into eternal friendship with God. And so what I'd really love to challenge you with is to think on how do I think about being friends with God, that God wants to be near to me, that he hasn't just saved me and kind of washed me up and just said, you just, you just stay there, but he is revealing to us who he is, how he works, what he's about. He's offering us life with him. Friendship, actually. And then, and then I'm going to, you know, as, as Jesus said, love as I have loved you. And then with that kind of friendship, this Jesus kind of friendship, would that then permeate and, and inform and change how we live as friends? That we would love each other and operate with each other in a way, not just with friendship with God where we talk to him about everything, but that we would do that. We, we definitely would do that. We would confess to him our sin as the Spirit convicts us. We would talk to him about what's happening in our souls. But that as that happens, we don't then leave our interaction with God and then go, okay, I'm good. I'm going to go and kind of dodge everybody else in my life. But he says, love as I have loved you, which was to take you away from being an enemy, but then 
love you in such a way that you would become friends. So I'll ask you like this. Are you willing for your enemy to become your friend? Are you even open to that? That guy at your workplace that you cannot stand, are you open to him becoming your friend? I mean, that's what God does. That's the way in which he loves. Man. Hmm. The beautiful news of the gospel is you are now, if you believe upon Christ, you are friends with God. You get to talk to him. You get to ask him for stuff. You get to relate to him and commune with him and share in all that he has to offer. He has, by his blood, brought you near into friendship. And now we get to be those who offer that friendship with God to others, but not just like, oh, hey, look, you should, you should be friends with him, but don't be friends with me. You just stay there. No, no, you, you do friends that way. I don't want to do friends this way. Uh-oh. No, no, that's a contradiction. And we know it. They will know us by our love for one another. What kind of love is that? It's the love that friends have. You ever seen a good group of friends? Did you guys hear Ian when he was up here? One of our students got baptized. His testimony was awesome. His testimony was, I was alone. I was at college. I was miserable. And then this weird group of Christian kids invited me to hang out. And I was like, no, you guys are weirdos. So he didn't hang out with them. But he was lonely. And he watched them. And he was lonely, and he watched them. And they're like, hey, man, you want to come hang out? And he's like, you guys are weird, but okay, I mean, I got nothing else to do. And what he said is, I was struck by the way in which they related to one another. I was struck by the fact that these people who were all different from each other, you know, they were kind of quirky and odd, and this guy was loud, and this person was quiet, and this person was, you know, all these different things. And they loved each other. They're like, there was this unity. I, 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 I couldn't figure it out, and I loved it right? That we would be this kinds of friends that say, hey, we got room for one more. Come on. This is the kingdom. God has made us his friends. That's who we're to be, to love as we love our friends. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, um, we're not good at this. Friendship is often hard and often a higher price than we are willing to pay. And often we, we will have acquaintances, we will have buddies, we will have pals, we'll have people watch games, we'll have people do an activity with, but it stops there. I don't want them getting too far in to see my sin, to see my struggles. Lord, would we be people who follow you in such a way that we are open and transformed and we are dealing with our sin, we're talking to others about it, would we be people who invite others into that kind of life? Would we offer friendship willingly? Lord, only by the helper's hand, only by your spirit in us are we going to get there. And Lord, we pray that the fruit that we produce would be these kinds of fruits, that people would know you and walk with you and delight in you because you have loved us and then that love, because we are connected to the vine, has flown out to them in friendship. God, help us to walk this out. Help us in small groups and all the places we are these coming weeks to talk this through. And Lord, teach us to be kingdom friends, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.